Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit fssystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, on the first trading day of 2023, we saw pressure develop across grain and livestock trade, as well as the broader commodity sector. Welcome to Market Talk. Appreciate you being here with us once again. Happy New Year to you as we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America And we have plenty to talk about here as we take a look at Tuesday's market action. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to have you with us here today once again as we saw just broad pressure throughout grains, livestock, and the broader commodity sector on the day on Tuesday. The U.S. dollar surging higher, providing some of the weight and also just getting back to normal trading conditions. We wondered how the markets would react under a more normal trading environment. And we saw that, especially in the case of soybeans couldn't hold above that $15 mark on the day. We're going to talk about the move to the downside across the grain sector, across livestock, just the general risk-off tone in the market trade. We're going to be joined by Brian Split of agmarket.net coming up here in segment two and three to discuss this market, talk about what we saw last week, and try to get a sense of what we could see here moving forward this week. We have a USDA WASDE report, the big January report, coming up next week as well. That's going to be something to keep an eye on and keep in front of us here in this trade so plenty to discuss coming up here on the program today we'll get to that analysis with brian split of agmarket.net here in just a little bit also coming out on friday we touched on it a little bit we're going to dive more into the epa's announcement of a final rule for wotus and ag and industry group reaction from folks like the ncba american farm bureau federation and more we're going to dive into that issue and talk about it here coming up as we work through the show today first up though let's get a little bit of market perspective right away we talked to our good friend arlen suderman chief commodities economist at stonex around midday on Tuesday, got Arlen's thoughts in the trade and first focused on that soybean complex that seemed to lose its momentum and break back below that $15 mark on the day. We start the conversation there with Arlen Suderman of StoneX. First of all, it just kind of reinforces what we were saying last week. Uh, take everything you see between the holiday period with a grain of salt um, because it's not normal trading conditions, and we really need to get into the month of January to establish what that is. But we have the dollar kind of really surging higher today. That's creating some headwinds for the commodity sector as a whole, particularly the food and energy commodities uh, under pressure. I think we're also seeing a little bit of reality and when we get under more normal trading volume 
um, get everyone back into the market, so to speak, uh, on whether it's justifiable to push these prices higher for the food and energies, especially the oil seeds, especially soybeans, where harvest started a couple weeks ago in Brazil. Granted, it's very slow harvest progress at this point, but it's slowly picking up momentum, and that momentum will increasingly pick up speed over the next few weeks. And when Brazil farmers see the big crop that they have there uh, and the prices that are being offered right now, $15 or close to that on the board here in, out of Chicago, um, that's very tempting to them to just sell off the combine. So I think we're going to see quite a bit of harvest selling out of Brazil, making it difficult to hold these prices, uh, and, and uh, particularly with demand soft near term in China with the outbreak of COVID. On the wheat and corn side, wheat feels like maybe a little more dollar pressure than anything here to start uh, the new year. Corn holding up okay. feels like corn just kind of doing a lot of the same it has been the last month or so, just kind of chopping around here in this range right now, Arlen. Yeah, and even wheat is still within the broader upward trending channel, although it's testing the bottom of it. And you look at corn, uh, that's kind of what it's doing there as well. I mean, we're still at pretty good levels up around at 670 level uh, for corn. Um, I think as we go forward, the key that we're going to start looking at now is what is going to be the size of the safrina corn crop in Brazil. Uh, How's that going to affect U.S. exports as we get into the last half of this year? Uh, We did see some pretty good export inspections this morning for soybeans. I think corn and wheat were kind of disappointing, and the strong dollar is not going to help that. Over in the livestock trade, moderate losses developing there across cattle and hog futures. And uh, I know, again, probably tied to the higher dollar. Anything else you're seeing in the livestock trade here as we start the week? A strong dollar affects most probably the wheat market and the meat markets, uh, beef and pork, as far as exports, because that's where we have the most competition and from competition from countries with weaker currencies. Um, So it is having an impact there. As we look at the cash cattle market last week, it held strong, is up about one to two dollars from the previous week. Uh, When we look at last week's slaughter, 547,000 head, that was down about 15,000 from the prior week. Not a surprise there with the holiday, but it was up 23,000 from the same week the previous year. So overall, holding pretty well in there uh, with the demand, with declining numbers expected in weeks ahead. We also saw a loss of a lot of weight particularly in the areas most affected by the winter weather over the last couple of weeks, and that's going to tighten up the supply of meat as well. And again, that is market analysis with Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist at StoneX, talking to Arlen around midday on Tuesday, getting his thoughts of what we were seeing in the market trade. We're going to talk more about things coming up again with Brian Split of agmarket.net here in segment two and three. I mentioned as well, we have the EPA story. I'm going to save that for the end of the show as we have plenty to take a look there. So we're going to talk about that coming up. But want to mention that with the holidays now over, spring will be here before you know it and that's why it may be time now to start thinking about the 2023 commodity classic in march neil kasky vice president of communications with the national corn growers association which is one of the organizations that puts together the annual commodity classic convention says that this year the event is march 9th through the 11th at the orange county convention center in orlando florida and they're going to have a fantastic show down in orlando 
Last year, we had over 8,000 attendees that made the trip down to New Orleans, and this show down in Orlando is going to be even better. And so we're excited about all the, the educational opportunities that will be uh, available at Commodity Classic, and, and this show is just going to be unmatched. Kasky says the highlight of Commodity Classic is the trade show. The new technology, all the, the innovations that our exhibitors are releasing, and so there's always something new to explore and, and learn more about there. He adds that the event will feature guest speakers and seminars focusing on the ag industry. Hundreds of learning sessions, so for folks that want to learn more about sustainability, any of the climate smart agriculture, you know, whether it's inputs so or they're just trying to learn from other growers on how they're running their farm. And with the event in Orlando coming up in March, Caskey says you could make the event part of your family's spring break plans. So we're about a mile from Universal Studios and a couple miles up the road from all the Disney properties. And so I do a little bit of learning and then finish off the day uh, having a little bit of fun in one of the parks that Orlando is, is famous for. Well, early registration is going on now through January 20th. For more information, visit commodityclassic.com. Again, that's commodityclassic.com. All right, coming up after the break, we're going to dive back into the market trade. We're going to be joined by Brian Split of agmarket.net as he will walk us through what he sees in the markets after the down risk-off day on Tuesday. We'll be back with more market talk on the way right after this. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, it was not an ideal way to come back into trading and start off 2023 on Tuesday as we had a pretty uh, much a down day across the board, across commodities, stocks, energies. Uh, we're going to talk about this as we get an idea of what we are seeing in this market trade as we start off the new year. We welcome in Brian Split, agmarket.net, joining us today. Brian, good to catch up with you, buddy. Happy New Year. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, good to be here as always, Jesse. Happy New Year to you and all the listeners. Thanks for the time today and uh, diving in to look at this market. I, I think just broadly to start, uh, you and I were chatting off air. I have a, quite a few areas for us to go to today. But, you know, looking at us getting back to normal trading conditions, quote unquote, on Tuesday to start the new year, the dollar moved higher. It felt like some risk off pressure across the board with the dollar moving higher but i know there's a lot of other things at play but just to kind of set things up for our discussion today did that feel like a bit of the case to you with the dollar moving higher just kind of weighing on everything on tuesday brian yeah i mean uh, i think that was uh, definitely part of the uh, the narrative today and the dollar being higher um, you know might have been more of just a, a general risk off attitude in, in commodities um, and uh, uh, some some strength in, in the old standby which is the US dollar um, we had energies very weak today we had livestock week we had several of the soft markets week we obviously had the grains week today um, so it, it was uh, not just pointed at the grain markets it was uh, you know some selling across the board and and selling in a lot of markets where the funds are, are holding a long position currently. Well, and talking about that as well, you know, getting into a new year, we typically see that money flow work its way around. And you mentioned that, that to me before we jumped on the air, a lot of long positions held by funds. And I think I saw uh, a fair amount of contracts liquidated on Tuesday, 9,000 beans, 7,000 bean meal, 11,000 corn contracts. Uh, last I looked somewhere around those numbers. So 
thinking about that, you know, you know, why do we see a lot of that long liquidation coming back from the holidays and starting off a new year, Brian? What's behind some of that? I do think uh, when we think directly towards the uh, the ag commodities, funds holding long corn positions, long bean positions, very long on meal. And um, I, I think part of that length that was added uh, between, let's call it mid-December to the end of the year was some window dressing on their part, um, you know, getting the, the corn market to close near the highs of the, of the month. Uh, as we finish up the year, uh, getting beans to do that, getting meal to do that. Um, and so with them holding those long positions, it seemed like it was maybe an effort to window dress uh, those positions and get some good settlements to finish up the year, um, you know, pad their returns on those specific markets. And then we have the long weekend. We ended up getting some rain in Argentina and we can debate whether it was adequate or what it was compared to the the uh, forecast. But Bottom line is we saw the fund manager come out and, and start to book some profits very earlier on the year uh, on, on some of those those long uh, markets that they're holding. Brian, let's dive in a little more on soybeans. And last week here during the show, we, we did a lot more looking back at 2022, looking ahead to 2023. I, I shied away from the fact that beans broke above that overhead resistance we've been talking about at $15 because I wanted to see what the market would do under normal trading conditions, normal volume, et cetera. We obviously gave a lot of that move back on Tuesday, falling below 15 in many of these soybean contracts. So as you look at the charts, starting the new year off, we see us come back below 15. What are your thoughts there? Can we can we get back above 15 and sustain that? Or is this you know, just a, a bit of a, a move back to where we were considering, you know, we traded through the holidays that way. What's your thoughts in beans when you look at the charts right now? Yeah, when you think about the old crop soybeans, we did go up and we closed gaps there. Uh, March, May, July, they all had gaps from June. Uh, we filled those gaps on the rally last week and traded through them a little bit. Um, so I, I think uh, that was significant that, that uh, we kind of reached that upper objective and filled those gaps. Um, we haven't taken out support yet, and so maybe that's what we need to do in order to feel like, well, we, we've lost $15 uh, is to, to take support out. And so uh, we've got some uptrends that have been established from the October lows. Um, those uptrends are still very much in place on old crop soybeans. And so I think we got to start taking out those uptrends uh, maybe get back below the 200 and 100 day moving averages. Uh, and that might be something that signifies that uh, we made more meaningful highs here to finish up the year. And you could probably say the same thing on new crop soybeans where we got above 14, albeit just for a couple days. And now, you know, right back below 14, we didn't close uh, aggressively below 14. So, you know, could we see $14 beans again tomorrow? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's something where, again, the uptrends are still in place. Uh, we're going to have to start taking out some of the lows that were made leading up to this run-up. And so I think on November beans, uh, we had some mid-December lows before this push to new highs that were right around that 1380 area. Uh, so if we start to see the other side of 1380 on, on the new crop soybeans, then that might signify that the high that we had last, last week might be more of a meaningful high. Uh, but until we do that, you know, we could just possibly be coming back and revisiting support before making another push. 
Well, you brought up South American weather. Obviously, that's going to be a big key we're watching. And then also, too, demand with the Brazilian supplies coming on. We're getting some of that farmer selling out of South America and, and China picking up more Brazilian supplies, that U.S. export window closing for soybeans. I know that's going to be a big talking point in this market here for the next uh, few weeks ahead, isn't it, Brian? It is. Um, and, and so, you know, Argentina has been one of the main talking points as far as the dryness there. We can nitpick Brazil and it's Rio Grande do Sul is the, the area in the southern growing regions that's that's got that drier bias over the last several weeks. Otherwise, the majority of Brazil looks really good. And uh, Brazil plus Argentina uh, should have a, a record combined production number. Um, so that's something that I think is going to weigh on things in the big picture. But um, you know, we had a little rain in the, over the weekend in Argentina, and, and one of the things is the meal market just, it was an inside bar from Friday, so we did trade lower today, but we didn't take out Friday's lows uh, where we did on, on the, uh, the soybeans and the bean oil. Um, so until this meal market really shows that it's starting to roll over, uh, it's hard to, uh, to get too worked up about the bean market rolling over with it. Uh, but I do think once we see this meal market give up, uh, that we could see that market have a, a rather aggressive break. Uh, and again, a lot of that has to do with just the sheer size of the fund length in that market. Uh, I will point out that spot meal, uh, when you look at the lows that we had, uh, we've retraced 62% of the whole break from the August high to the October low in meal with the highs that were made last week. So um, there's, a, there's a gap around 491. Uh, and maybe the January contract will fill that before it expires. But uh, we, we've also hit some of the upper echelon targets on the soy meal market on this rally. Brian, over in the corn market, you mentioned that as well. I want to turn our attention there. You know, end of uh, last week, we tested some of that overhead resistance. And we look at the day we had Tuesday compared to beans and wheat. It was an okay day at corn Tuesday. We're still kind of hovering 670 660 range an old crop six dollar range a new crop as you look at the corn charts what are some things that stand out to you what are you watching here as we really get into this week well that high that was made on friday i think hit you know maybe a confluence of maybe four different things of resistance on that specific chart for march so number one we had highs that were made in october and then we had lows that were made early in december and uh, we retraced 62% of that break uh, on that high on, on Friday last week. Uh, that high Friday was exactly 50 cents off of the low in December. So 685 high coming from a 635 low, big round number like that. Um, when we made those highs in October, we had some secondary highs October 31st and then November 1st and 2nd that established a downtrend. Uh, that downtrend line was hit on the high on Friday. And then also when we were making those highs in October, we had some lows that were, were being made mid-month in that 683, 684 area. So we kind of went up and hit that, that shelf from underneath. So like I said, there's a confluence of about four different types of resistance that we hit. Uh, so one of the things that uh, I had suggested some producers that wanted to have some physical corn sold on this rally was, you know, hey, maybe we sell that corn in the physical market. We'll just stay hedged. We'll put some stops in above last week's highs and see if we can't take these hedges off on a little bit more of a pullback. I do think that uh, as we go into this January report, again, with the length from the funds, that we might see this market peel back a little bit further. And I think maybe revisiting that 655-ish area 
uh, might not be a, ba a bad downside target to see if we can hit before the report January 12th. Well, that is Brian Split of agmarket.net. We're going to continue our conversation with him coming up here after the break as we're back for more Market Talk of the Way right after this. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Stay up to date and listen to past episodes online at markettalkag.com. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk here today. Jesse Allen with you, our guest analyst here on the show. Brian Split of agmarket.net is with us here today as we recap Tuesday's mostly risk-off down day across the commodity sector. And Brian, before the break, you mentioned a little bit of uh, selling there on the corn market. And I think as well, corn, beans, I might sound like a broken record. I, record. I say this a lot, but rewarding the rallies and i think about it as well you know the calendar says 2023 now so i wonder if that changes some mentality of producers who are saying well okay now i'm in a new tax year okay i'm I'm all right making some sales and getting that on the books i know sometimes that's a factor uh, i just wonder if we could see you know a little bit of selling here this week to try and protect this rally maybe getting some hedges in place like you mentioned just to try and protect uh, some of what we have here with downside potential on the board possibly heading to that January 12th report. Yeah, there's some about the calendar flipping that uh, you know gets the producer to get a little bit interested in marketing again. Uh, I think a lot of the, the uh, participants just really weren't paying much attention last week. Uh, it was the holidays, you know, slow holiday trade. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, if you're spending time with family, you know, and that's fine. I mean, that's, that's more important. But uh, I think as the calendar's flipped, uh, now we've looked at, we're looking at uh, the potential for, you know, rent checks being due. Uh, we're looking at the producer saying, okay, I blocked in this for my chemical or my fertilizer. And maybe I should get enough, uh, you know, corn for new crops sold to at least cover those bills. Uh, and with the $6 price tag still available, I think you're starting to see the, uh, the calendar starting to spur those thought processes here. And I've had a lot of producers that have kind of said, you know what, I, I know the market's rallied. I know I want to get some more sold before that January report. So they're, um, they're, you know, their wheels are turning right now trying to figure out if they, uh, you know, should just go ahead and move it. Uh, or if they try to look for a little bit of a bounce between, you know, now and that report. But again, I think when you when you look at what we hit last week on that high and we talked about all those different uh, technical numbers, um, maybe the thing to do is just go ahead and move it. And I've had producers, you know, July options, the volatility on July corn options is pretty cheap right now. Uh, you could replace some physical sales and just go out to July. July's trading at a discount to March. Uh, you know, buy a, a call spread in, in July, maybe a $7, $8 call spread. You can do that for under 20 cents. And, and that'll give you something to hold on to and participate in if we do have some kind of a, a domestic weather story that develops down the road. 
Wheat market real briefly, was that a case of the higher dollar, do you think, or was there something else you saw chart related? I know this KC wheat chart has been has been looking fairly good uh, here the last couple of sessions. I just wonder what you saw in the wheat markets overall Tuesday, Brian. Yeah, I think wheat's probably going to be one of the, you know, the more sensitive uh, uh, ag commodity markets to the dollar movements. Uh, so I don't doubt that, that we had some pressure in wheat because of that. Uh, I'll also mention this, you know, I, I put the most weight on on hard red wheat. Uh, that's the highest, uh, you know, volume of, of wheat produced in the country. And I know even though we don't see the same uh, volume on the board, uh, the fund manager seems to like to play in Chicago wheat, but I, I think hard red is the most important wheat. And so I, I look at that and we keep failing at the downtrend from the October highs. We did it again today. Uh, something I, I continue to look at is how similar we're trading in wheat in, in the hard red wheat to 2008. Uh, we made a, a very sharp run up in, in 2008 up to near 1385. Uh, we came within about a nickel of that level on, on the highs that in 2022 after the invasion of, of Ukraine. And uh, after that high was made, we, we've come back down. We checked $8 again, just like we did in, eight, in 2008. We rallied off of 8 bucks. Uh, and, and my concern would be, um, based on the timing of 08, this month or next month, if we find ourselves below $8 on spot hard red wheat, um, it's going to be following that footprint from 2008. And that would suggest we go into the low sixes, the upper fives. Um, and I think just that alone is, is reason to carry some puts to at least cover eight bucks on, on production for, uh, for new crop wheat that you don't have priced yet. And I know it's hard to want to sell it because it went in in, in poor conditions and, and the good to excellent probably isn't going to look real good coming out of dormancy. But, uh, you know, it, it, I think you have to identify that if, if we break below eight dollars, the chart's going to look horrible. You, you brought up an interesting point there with 2008. Do you see any other commodities that have a similar look to them compared to, say, 2008? I've heard also some people comparing to 2013, maybe. Do you, do you see anything else that has some similarities to that time frame, Brian? Uh, you know, maybe not in the commodity market, but in, in the equity market, it, uh, the structure mm -hmm. of the S&P uh, right now looks extremely similar to the structure of the S&P uh, in 2008 before we had that last rollover. And, and that last rollover was the one that really, um, you know, brought on the majority of the losses. So I look at the S&P and, and, you know, we've had some some pretty aggressive movements here as of late. We saw, you know, a big move after that CPI number in December went up just enough to hit the downtrend and, and you know, ran some stops there. Uh, I think if we end up seeing the S&P on the other side of 3,500 that you're going to see what I think could be a, a pretty catastrophic move to the downside on, on the equity trade. So, um, and you know, you think back to what happened when they were pulling money out of equities in 08 and it pulled money out of everything. So I, 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 I don't know if that's going to happen again this year, but uh, if we be, become uh, concerned about liquidity in general um, and we see a liquidity event in equities, that could easily be a catalyst that takes the fund manager in, at, out of their long ag position. Definitely. I want to give us time for livestock real quick. Uh, a down day there across cattle and hogs uh, as well on Tuesday. I know a lot of folks still fairly bullish this cattle market as we start 2023. Just wondering your thoughts uh, as we look at Tuesday's trade and just overall this uh, this protein sector as we start the year, Brian. 
Yeah, so I, I think in live cattle, one of the things that the producer should realize is that um, the fundamentals, yes, are friendly, uh, but you can protect yourself for what I, I think personally is, is pretty cheap premium. Um, live cattle options have been trading at 11, 12% volatility. Uh, that is cheap. Um, you could go to April, you could go to June and not spend very much to put a floor in let's say at the lows that were made back in December. Um, you know, so maybe we had some lows in December on April live cattle in that 156, 157 area. Um, we haven't really taken out support yet, even though you mentioned we were down today, but boy, I mean, for, for not much premium, you could establish a floor there because we also have to realize is the fundamentals look good. We're still trading a market that needs demand. Um, and I would say that cotton is a very good example of a market that this year uh, had really good looking fundamentals and we you know had production concerns and uh, all of a sudden the thought was that hey demand's not going to be here and the market just collapsed uh, in the face of what looked like strong fundamentals so uh, with a lot of the concern about a, a, you know a pending global or, or domestic recession um, you know what good is is live cattle here if the, if the demand won't be there and we don't know if it is or not but I think puts are a very cheap way to put a floor in and, and still allow yourself to be bullish. Is that same thought maybe spill over to the hog market too, just with all, especially added on the COVID issues in China and demand for pork over in Southeast Asia per se, especially China. Do we, do we worry about some of those issues in the hog market as well, Brian? Uh, so I think, yes, the part of this, of what we talked about in live cattle, we could say in hogs, uh, I think you're going to have an increase in production in early 2023. I think you've got that concern about China and, and um, you know, what's going to happen with their COVID numbers and deaths. And, and uh, do we start to see that affect the, uh, the global marketplace? Uh, unfortunately, the recent volatility in, in, in the hog futures uh, makes the other part of the conversation we talked about in cattle not the case, which is low volatility options and, and being cheap to buy puts. Uh, hogs have been extremely volatile over the last month or two. We've seen these big sweeping moves from the low 80s to the low 90s uh, back and forth. It seems like this market, once it gets a, you know, its eye on a direction, it'll, it'll move 10 cents, 100 weight just before turning around and going 10 back the other way. So uh, unfortunately, the hog options are not cheap. Um, you know, you're looking at if, if you're buying puts, uh, the volatility value on hog options is, is maybe close to triple what they are on, on, on the live cattle options. So same similar sentiment as far as the concern about demand, uh, you know, for global and, and domestic e economics. But again, uh, the option volatility does not make them as cheap as, as the live cattle to protect. Well, Brian, we'll wrap up our conversation there. And I know if folks have questions, want to talk to you and the team there at agmarket.net, they can get a hold of you very easily by going online. And I should mention as well, you guys' uh, conference coming up February 5th and 6th in Nashville. I know we're uh, looking forward to being there for that. Yeah, we're looking forward to putting on a good, uh, good showing for everybody. And like you said, that's 5th and 6th. So you can go to www.agmarket.net. There's a banner at the top of the page. You can click on the banner and get your information uh, or get registered. And if you want to talk to somebody, call 844-4-AG-MARKET. So 844-424-6758. My direct line is 815-665-0463. With that, Brian Split, agmarket.net. Always a pleasure, sir. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate it. 
And again, that's Brian Split, agmarket.net, our guest analyst here on the show today. A few of the closes from the day on Tuesday. March cord was down eight, six seventy and a half. March beans down thirty, one to three quarters, fourteen ninety-two and a quarter. January bean meal down a dollar seventy a ton, four seventy-six eighty. January bean oil down sixty-five points, sixty-three sixteen. March Chicago wheat down sixteen and a half, seven seventy-five and a half. March KC wheat down eighteen to three quarters, eight sixty-nine and a quarter. March spring wheat down nineteen and a half, nine nineteen and a quarter. February live Live cattle down 105, 156.85. April down 92, 168.87. January feeder cattle down a dollar, 182.70. Lean hogs February down 262.8507. April down a dollar 50, 93.80. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the EPA's WOTUS ruling and more reaction from ag groups. We'll be back with more here on Market Talk on the way right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk as we take a look at issues impacting agriculture and rural America. And the top issue to start the year is the Environmental Protection Agency and the Army Corps of Engineers announcement of a final rule on Friday establishing the definition of waters of the United States. Now, they say the rule reduces uncertainty from consistently changing regulatory definitions, protects people's health, and supports economic opportunity. Now, the final rule restores essential water protections that were in place before 2015 under the Clean Water Act for traditional navigable waters, the territorial seas, interstate waters, and the upstream water resources that significantly affect those waters. Now, according to EPA Administrator Michael Regan, he says, quote, following extensive stakeholder engagement, EPA is delivering a durable definition of WOTUS that safeguards our nation's water, strengthens economic opportunity, and protects people's health. It also provides greater certainty for farmers, ranchers, and landowners, end quote. Michael Connor, Assistant Secretary of the Army for Civil Works, says, quote, This definition provides clarity long desired by farmers, industry, environmental groups, and other stakeholders. It also allows for more effective rule implementation, end quote. Now, many ag and industry groups reacting to the news, including the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Their chief counsel, Mary Thomas Hart, charges the Biden final waters of the U.S. rule is tainted. The rule doesn't clearly exempt isolated or ephemeral features from federal jurisdiction, but instead subjects both of those features to case-by-case determinations, which means that farmers, ranchers, or landowners across the country could be required to, to pay a lot of money and spend a lot of time trying to figure out if their isolated or ephemeral features are federally jurisdictional. Requiring permits or resulting in added EPA enforcement. So beyond some exemptions for drainage ditches, stock ponds, and prior converted cropland, Hart sees the Biden rule as a reversal of Trump-era WOTUS reforms. This is a significant expansion beyond the navigable waters protection rule. And, and the Biden administration sought to find some middle ground between the 2015 rule and the 2020 rule. So we knew that there might be a slight expansion, but this leans much more toward um, the 2015 Obama rule than it does toward the navigable waters protection rule. Now, all that, as Hart says, six of the nine Supreme Court justices that heard Sackets versus EPA in October are reviewing for the first time the years old Rapidos ruling on when a wetland is a water of the U.S based on its permanence and nexus to a navigable water. They seemed quite convinced that those were failed standards, that you know they had watched the, the definitions ping pong back and forth from administration to administration, and they thought that there ought to be a new standard. So I will not be surprised if when the Supreme Court issues its opinion in spring 2023 that we see a completely new test and EPA is required to go back to the drawing board. 
Now, Hart charges the timing of the EPA final rule couldn't be worse and seeks to directly preempt the ongoing Supreme Court litigation, leaving the WOTUS question murkier than ever until the high court rules months from now. Also, the American Farm Bureau Federation commenting on the news as Courtney Briggs, Senior Director of Government Affairs for the American Farm Bureau Federation, says AFB is extremely disappointed in the new rule. This rule does not provide the needed clarity and certainty that the regulated community has long called for. This rule allows the federal government to expand their jurisdictional reach over private property. It is clear that the agencies have doubled down on their use of the troubling significant nexus test, which will require landowners to hire environmental consultants, attorneys, and engineers to ensure that they are in compliance. She says when the federal government expands its reach, the amount of permitting that farmers and ranchers are subject to gets worse. Since this rule relies on case-by-case determinations and ambiguously defined terms, it is incredibly difficult for a farmer to understand if they have a jurisdictional feature on their property. There are civil and criminal liabilities attached to Clean Water Act compliance, and that is why it's so incredibly important to have a clear line of jurisdiction. Now, the new WOTUS rule goes into effect 60 days after it's published in the Federal Register. We will be looking to the Supreme Court for a decision in the Sackett case, which will provide some clarity on the use of the significant nexus test. And the agencies have stated that today's rule is a durable rule, but it is very likely that they will have to make changes to the rule in response to a decision from the high court next year. Now, again, that's Courtney Briggs with the American Farm Bureau Federation. More reaction coming from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Vice President of Government Affairs with NCBA, Ethan Lane, says we got mostly what was expected from EPA, but he also highlights the timing and NCBA opposition to parts of the final rule. We got pretty much what we expected from EPA on on the new Waters of the U.S. rule. Uh, it's not a rule that, that, that agriculture is particularly happy with. Those are concerns we've voiced repeatedly to the administration. Um, you know, originally in their draft rule, uh, they, they had stripped out all of those exemptions for agricultural operations that had been kind of the only bright spot of the previous versions of this rule before the Trump administration's rewrite. Uh, the final rule did see a lot of those restored, which is some progress in the right direction, although uh, they kind of opened up a new can of worms by establishing what they're calling a case-by-case framework for evaluating federal nexus on some of these on some of these questionable you know waters areas and i would put most of our producers you know operations into that questionable bucket which means rather than providing operational certainty this rule in its current form is simply going to add to the uncertainty the producers face Lane mentioned the Sackett versus EPA case that is currently before the Supreme Court. And when asked about that case and whether or not that could alter what the EPA just passed on Friday, here's what Lane had to say. It certainly could be dramatically altered. And, you know, we've voiced that as have others that, hey, you know, maybe maybe hit the brakes on this and see what the Supreme Court says before you draft a rule that's going to be immediately questioned by the Supreme Court. Typically, a new rulemaking you know, would go to court, we would go to the district court, we'd go to the appeals court, and you'd be years down the road before the Supreme Court heard it. Given the unique timing of an existing case moving through the court system, um, this, this rule is, is, is immediately subject to challenge. And again, that is comments with Ethan Lane, Vice President of Government Affairs with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Again, this whole issue, there's more reaction out there as well. Many ag groups not happy with EPA's final WOTUS rule. This is going to be a hot-button issue for sure as we begin 2023. 
Well, that's going to do it for the show today. We are out of time. Again, thanks to Brian Split of agmarket.net joining us earlier with market analysis. Arlen Suderman of StoneX as well with his commentary to kick off the show. Coming up tomorrow, we'll keep our eyes on the markets. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, will join us. That's going to do it for today's Market Talk. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, wishing you a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.